Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, hosted by two entrepreneurs, Chris Beoso and Armando Pantoja. Tune in to learn more about entrepreneurship, investing, and business. Welcome to another episode to the Latin Wealth Podcast. I'm super excited about today's episode because we're back in the studio. and Y'all know I love being in the studio. And not only that, we got a guest on the podcast today, and I always love when we have guests on. So a little bit about our guest today. She is a boss lady in entrepreneurship, all right? She's got a lot of different businesses going on. But on social media, she is mainly known for being a marketing consultant, and when Talking about marketing for your business, she really is a wealth of information and knowledge. Um, you know, whether you're a solopreneur, CEO, small business owner, she's going to get you right. And basically what she specializes in is getting your marketing off your off your plate and really an autopilot mode. So you don't got to worry about it. You can focus on the things that you care about, the things that you're good at and the things that really matter to you. Welcome to the Latin Wealth Podcast, Emily De La Cruz. How are you doing today? Thank you so <laughs> much. Every time I hear my bio, I'm like, oh, I forget that I like do all these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dope, dope. Um, thank you for hopping on the podcast. Thank you for being here at the studio. We really appreciate you. Um, how's your day going? How's everything going with you? You know, just trying to survive the hell that is Dallas of 105 <laughs> degree weather every damn day. Every day. <laughs> it's funny because okay. I was just talking to somebody Originally, if you guys don't know, I'm from California. Dallas is way harder than California. It's been triple digits the whole month, and people don't believe it. They're like, oh, it's about to hit 95 over here. I'm like, it's been over 95. <laughs> Literally. Like, people don't understand. Like, we don't have winter. Like, I don't have winter coats for real. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just hot all year long. Like, I remember Thanksgiving, I was, like, having a barbecue, <laughs> you know? Like, we're outside all the time. Outside, so. yeah. I love it. I love it. Um. With that being said, obviously, you're, you're not from Dallas, so mm -hmm. we would love, before we jump into the marketing and the business and whatnot, not all that advice, we want to know, you know, your background, where you're from. I know you're from the Bronx, yep. um, but talk to us about BX in the building. <laughs> <laughs> talk to us about your upbringing. Um, and yeah, talk to the people. Let us know. Yeah, so I was born and raised in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, I spent most of my life in the Bronx. I actually moved out of New York City in 2015. Uh, I lived in Atlanta for five years and then I've been here in Dallas for two. So as I've kind of grown and, you know, gone away, went to college, did all these things, I realized that what I thought life was in the Bronx was just a sliver of what life is really like, mm. you know. So mm. my mom worked three jobs. So I was raised wow. by my grandparents. Um so growing up, I didn't really, I always had this like resentment towards my mom a little bit because I was just like, yo, why are you always working? Like you're never around. Mm -hmm. You don't come to my dance recitals, you know. And now as an adult, you know, I'm just like, thank you mm -hmm. because I work from home and me and the stove, I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not touching the stove. <laughs> okay. I'm like Uber <laughs> yeah, Eats, yeah. me. Sometimes I'll meal prep, but for the most part, you know, like adulting is not what I thought it was going to be mm. um, growing up. So, And why is that? Is it because it, it wasn't taught to you or just wasn't your thing? No, because my parents just made it look mad fun. Okay. Right? So my mom is, well, really all my family, you know, Latino. So my mm. mom's Puerto Rican, my dad's Dominican. Um, 
my mom and my dad love to turn up. They mm. love a party. They love to be in, in el coro, right? Mm. So it's just like growing up, I'm seeing my parents who are in their mid-30s having the time of their life. They go on to parties. They go into the club. We go on our vacation. You know, my aunts and uncles are over. The cousins are like, it was just always a good time. Yeah. And it's like, damn, y'all was paying bills the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, like what? <laughs> you know, like you coming home from work, taking the train an hour mm. from downtown to come home, you know, and stand up on the stove for another hour to Crazy. cook a full meal. Like I was like, this this can't be life, mm. you know. So I knew that when I became an adult that I wanted to like do things differently. And that's mm. why I became an entrepreneur, because I was just like, you know, I need to find a way. And I've always been an entrepreneur, even when I've worked full time, like I've mm. always had a side hustle because I was just like, I need to find a way to set myself up for success. Like mm. my grandfather's 81 years old and he still works. You wow. know, he's like the super of a building and he like helps out at the church. He can't stay still. But it's like, wow, like he doesn't have the option to retire if he wanted to, yeah. you know, and I'm like, well, it's my job to be able to to help them retire. Yeah. But also it's my job to not put the, my family in, in this position again, right? Sure. So I've always, always had like a, a really strong work mm. ethic, I think, because I watched my mom, you know, work so hard. My grandma took care of me, but, you know, she she used to make pasteles and sell mm. it for, for uh, the holidays. Mm. She used to make coquito, mm. you know. we Once we got older, it was so funny because we're like, oh, well, you need to put Hennessy. Now is the Hennessy coquito. And she'd be like, girl, we put bacali. And, you know, it's just, it's just so funny to see, like, awesome. how entrepreneurial my family has yeah. always kind of been just because yeah. we had to be. But, but yeah, you know, I, I really just grew up knowing that, as much as I love the Bronx that I didn't want to stay there forever. Mm. So I had to make different choices than, you know, everybody around me mm -hmm. and kind of figure it out as I went along. Yeah. So when you made that decision to leave the Bronx, how did your family feel about that? How did your friends around you receive that? Were they, they thinking you crazy? Were they supportive? How was that? Yeah, my family. So I'm the type of person I make decisions and then I tell my family. Mm. Right. So when I moved to, <laughs> when I moved to Atlanta, it was like, Hey y'all, I'm thinking of moving to Atlanta. But then it was like, on. "Hey y'all, uh I got an apartment. I'm moving to Atlanta January 1st." Mm. Um and they were like, "Why are you go like they just didn't understand because my mom lives across the street from my grandma. Mm. My aunt and my cousin and me lived with my grandparents. Wow. You know, my other uncle lived literally on the next corner. Wow. So we all live super duper close. So they're like, "What do you mean you're just going to go live by yourself in Atlanta? And why Atlanta?" But it was the best decision I, I could make because New York was so expensive. You know, mm -hmm. I was living in Harlem, had a three-bedroom apartment with um, two other roommates. And it was bullet holes in the in the door. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it was just not the best place mm -hmm. to be. And I was like, I have to be able to put myself in a position to win. And paying $2,400 rent that yeah. I'm splitting with roommates, you know, this Metro card, making 40, 50K a year is just not going to cut it. Mm -hmm. So my friend that was already living in Atlanta, um, her rent was, she had a three bedroom, two bath with parking and a pool. <laughs> and it was $735 a month Ooh. in the part of Atlanta she lived in. And I was like, wait. You said what? <laughs> wait, a, wait. I'm like, you pay less than my portion of my rent currently where I live. Mm -hmm. And you have all these amenities mm -hmm. and you have more space and you have another bathroom that you don't share with people. Oh, I got to I got to make some shake. 
So I ended up moving. Yeah. And literally, same thing when I came to Dallas. I'm always moving because I'm chasing some sort of financial come up, some mm. sort of financial opportunity, some sort of, some sort of wealth opportunity. Um, and moving to Atlanta was really what allowed me to be successful as a full-time entrepreneur because my expenses were low. So mm -hmm. I could take more risk. I could try different things. I could really grow into, you know, myself mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur because I didn't have that weight of the thousands and thousands of dollars that I would have been spending yeah. in New York. So everybody at first didn't understand, but then when they saw everything play out, they're like, yeah. oh, wow, that makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. It's crazy because I'm always like a big person of like, if hey, if you want to leave your hometown, go ahead and do that. I think it's there's massive growth, room for growth there. I know I grew up in Sacramento, California, and a month after I hit 19, I was like seeing what people around me were doing post-graduation and how they were living and you know, babies having babies type of situation. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got to get out of here. So I didn't necessarily, I moved, I moved back to Southern California. I didn't necessarily leave for like the financial gain like you, but I left for the mental and the mindset. Right. So when I moved to Southern California, that was like the first time I even heard the word entrepreneur. Like I didn't even know what that was. I knew about business and like making money and whatnot, but that just goes to show you the level of exposure I had in my environment mm -hmm. and it wasn't until i moved to southern california where i was exposed to just so much potential and um just was like damn like it, there's a lot of room for me to grow here so yeah i love that i love that you you made that move so one thing about you you're really vocal about you know you trying a bunch of different things you know some things well really every i think everything kind of worked out for you because you learned something from the past right um, but you're, you're vocal about trying things, right? You're not afraid to try different things, whether it works for you in the moment or it doesn't. Um, you know, where, where did that mindset come from, from just trial and error, trying to figure out, not being afraid of like, I'm, I might do this for a couple months and it's not going to work out. You know, some people are even scared to start something, right? Yeah. Ooh, that's such a good question. I've never really thought about that. Yeah. I, I mean, feel like I mean, I think not to cut you off, no. I think it's important because um, for me, it's giving me confidence because I've tried and started a bunch of things my my life as well. And I always say, like, the reason why I'm confident in my skin and my abilities is because I've failed more times than you even tried, mm -hmm. like failed way more times than you even took a step. So all of those moments allowed me to grow and allowed me to learn, you know, and I thought it was really important. Um, but for you, you know, where does that mindset come from? Mm, I feel like I've always, always tried a lot of things, but they never stuck to my identity. Mm. And I think a lot of times people don't try things or they're afraid to fail because they think, well, if I fail at this thing that I do, it's going to become who I am. Yeah, that's right. Big. That's big. And I remember I'm never going to forget in high school. I wanted to be in all the sports. So I was mm -hmm. uh, on the volleyball team in the fall. Then I would be in the cheerleading team in the winter. And then in the spring, I would play softball. But the only reason I did all of that was because I always wanted to be around my friends. Mm. Our softball team was trash. <laughs> when I tell you we was like uh, uh, losing every game, I think we maybe won one game the whole season. And I was the pitcher, right? Okay. Tr trash, right? And I think... That that season of softball really taught me that it's mm. like even though I kept losing, I was still having fun. I was still with my friends. I love we were still looking good in our mm. little in our little uniforms, mm. right? I remember my uncle came to the game once. <laughs> Shout! He stayed for like three innings 
And then he left, right? When I got home, he was like, Emily, let me tell you something. What I'm not going to do is leave work early, oh. take the train, and see y'all do that. So yeah. he's like, when y'all get better, Waste my I time. will go support. But in the meantime, I'm not finna sit here and do this. Mm. And I remember it was it was a hilarious conversation. Right. But in my family, it's like, oh, it didn't work. Like, it's fine. You know, mm. I, I was always like, you know, getting good grades and, and things like that. But it's like, yo, you trash at softball. OK, you good at other things. You're mm. good at dance. You're good that at this. Is. So I think for me learning new things has always been about or even trying new things has always been about the experience of doing it not necessarily is it going to be good or is it going to be bad mm -hmm. you know i tried to get uh my series 65 license because i was like oh I, you know i want to become a financial advisor baby two chapters into the book i was like i'm not doing this <laughs> Same for me. i'm not doing this i'm yeah. not i'm not gonna do this you mm -hmm. know but it's fine yeah, you know you i'm gonna i went and i did other things so when i think people stop thinking that them not completing something or not being successful at something says something about mm. negative about them they can just release themselves from that shackle in that prison yo just try it mm -hmm. just try it like okay you might be trash at this but you might be really good at that or you might discover something else that you should be doing along the way you know so even though i didn't get my series 65 I still learned in studying for that test so much that just benefited me and yeah. how I invest and, and what uh, asset classes exist and what vehicles I could use, you know, to grow my wealth. So, yeah, I didn't become a financial advisor or, or you know, uh, a financial planner, but I was still able to take what I learned from that experience that mm -hmm. was a failure and still win at the end of the day. For sure. For sure. I love that. So, you know, you go into your 20s, you're trying different things and whatnot. You, how did you stumble upon marketing and like where did this come from and how you eventually grew it into a business? Talk to us about that. I always knew I was going to be in marketing. Mm. Always, always. I've always been, I would say, a pretty decent communicator, but I shied away from communicating because I had an accent. Mm. Like I sounded like what Cardi B sounds like right now. Yeah, you know, I was sure. a Latina from the Bronx and I was talking like this yeah, yeah. and you already know. <laughs> so then when I got to college, people was like, yo, why you talk like that? And I was like, what do you mean? Everybody in the Bronx talks like me, you know? And as I started yeah. taking speech classes and things like that, uh, I was able to refine the way that I communicate. Mm. And I realized that a lot of times I could communicate well, but people will get distracted by my message because of how I was delivering it, mm. right? So what I may be saying was great, but they're looking at me and they're seeing ghetto girl from the Bronx, so they automatically would, you know, disregard right. what I'm saying because of how I was, I was delivering it. Mm. So in college, you know, as I was taking, like, all my communication courses, because I was a public relations major, I thought, you know, I was going to go work for a fashion magazine and, and I was going to be a publicist. But in 2011, 2012, social media became the new communication channel. So what I was studying kind of became obsolete. You know, you weren't breaking news with a press release anymore. Right. You were breaking news on Twitter. So as I was using Twitter in college and, you know, started using Instagram postgrad, I started to realize, okay, there's something here. And what I was learning and as I was like interning and like doing different things, I just started to share that online, like mm -hmm. as a blog. And eventually I was like... I kind of know a little bit of something. Right. You know, I kind of know a little bit of something. I don't know everything, but I know a little bit of something. Awesome. Um, so since I was a junior in college, I had been interning basically almost full time for a small business. And she was a small business coach. And I learned a lot about what I know about business from working with her. Mm. 
and throughout my career, I've basically just taken whatever I'm doing for work in that specific moment in time. I try to consult and I try to help smaller businesses apply what I'm doing at these big companies with these big budgets. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurship really kind of found me, I would say, mm -hmm. because I just loved what I did. And I talked about it so much that people were like, girl, well, do my marketing. Mm -hmm. Help help me do it, you know. Um, and once I, I ended up getting laid off two times in one year mm -hmm. in 2016. Wow. I got laid off in February, right after I moved to Atlanta, and then I got a job maybe in August of that same year. And then in November, I'm going to never forget, it was Black Friday. I got the call like, yeah, at the end of the year, wow. ain't, ain't no job no more. We restructur wow. We're restructuring, um, you know, your position is going to be eliminated. So I really hustled in full-time entrepreneurship because I was like, oh, I'm going to do this until I get another job. Mm -hmm. But then it came to be that what I was doing outpaced the salary that I would have been earning at the mm. time. So I could go make fifty, fifty-five thousand dollars, you know, at a job, or mm. I could slang these courses and, you know, do this consulting on the side yeah. and make the same amount of money mm. off of, you know, Instagram and LinkedIn and, and Facebook. God's plan. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's dope. Yeah. Man, I love it. Okay. So let's let's get into some practical advice for some business owners out there that are listening. Let's jump into some marketing. Um, first question I got for you, why, why do so many business owners struggle with marketing? Why is it such a struggle? Cause me being in the marketing space as well, it's like the number one thing that people fear. Like either they don't find value in it or they invested in it. It didn't work out for them or, um, they just, it, it just doesn't, I don't know. They, it doesn't resonate with them, I guess. So why is it that, you know, some business owners struggle with it and, um, yeah, talk to us about that. Yeah, the main thing that I'm seeing is that so many entrepreneurs, they want to be everything in their business to cut costs, right? Mm. So if you make hats, they want to make the hats. They want to run the Instagram. They want to do the emails. They want to do everything because it's like, well, I don't have enough money, right? And often when people are in that position is because they jumped into entrepreneurship out of desperation or out of necessity, mm. right? You didn't, you didn't have savings. You didn't have capital. You didn't have cushion. So it's like, I don't have money to hire a social media manager off right. the bat or, or run ads or whatever. So a lot of times it's literally like, I need to figure out how to kind of DIY my marketing because I don't have any other options. Mm. Right. So I always say that entrepreneurs should just understand if that's where you're at, you should treat marketing as something that you try to figure out in that season. But really, if that's not your lane, it should be the first thing that you outsource before mm -hmm. you hire an assistant. I remember I, when I first started my business, I was like, oh, I'm going to get an assistant because I don't want to answer emails and yeah. I don't want to answer my own DMs and la, 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 la. And it's like the, you know, couple hundred dollars that I was spending on that. I really should have been spending on Facebook ads. Mm. Right. So I didn't have to be sitting up on Instagram, creating a whole bunch right, of content right, right. all the time. Because it's kind of, it's time consuming for sure. Um, but I I feel like people don't they don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And because you're an entrepreneur and you did it this way, then you tell your other friend that's an entrepreneur, and then yeah. they try to do it. So everybody's kind of following this DIY blueprint because that's all we've ever been taught and that's all we've ever known. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but with marketing specifically as a function within your business, you have to look at how am I even making sales to begin with, mm. right? Like, are people finding you by word of mouth? 
Are people finding you through events because you're networking? Are people finding you on Instagram? Are people finding you on Facebook, on LinkedIn? You know, where are people coming from? For me, a lot of my business came from, in when I first started it, it came from my blog. Mm-hmm. Like, people will find me on Google, right? So why am I going to go off and ma- become a YouTuber if I know that my customers are coming from Google, Interesting. right? So yeah. often we try to, like, spread, you know, yeah. spread out. Like, oh, we're going to be on all the channels. Mm-hmm. And it's like locking on one channel that's actually working until you get enough capital to then expand onto other channels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love that. So what are some of, like, when you when you see business owners out there, what are some of the most common mistakes you see business owners making when it comes to marketing? I think you mm-hmm. kind of mentioned one of them. If I could, if I can interject, mm-hmm. that a lot of business owners when they think of marketing, they they immediately think about social media. Like social media is marketing. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. But realistically, it's just a portion of your marketing plan. It's just a mm-hmm. piece of it. It's just you know what I'm saying. So. But talk to us, what are some like common mistakes you see some of these business owners making? Hopefully some of the listeners can prevent. Go ahead. She's that's, ready, that's, ready to go. that's the main <laughs> one right there. It's the marketing equals Instagram. Mm. No. Um, there's actually a couple here who you might want to have on the podcast. Mm. Um, they're the heart, uh, the heart togs. Um, their Instagram is the heart tremony. But they have a cleaning business. And they teach other people how to start their cleaning business. And they teach people how to do like Yelp ads or like Mm. Google pay-per-click and stuff like that. And it's like because you have a physical or a location-based business, you trying to create reels when really you just need to figure out how can Mm -hmm. I get a Google My Business account so that when people are Googling cleaning service, dry cleaning service, whatever, you pop up, right? So I'm, I'm working on an event space right now and that's we don't have an Instagram. It's how can I get search engine optimization? How can I get geolocation marketing? So, so many people rely on social media, again, because that's just the blueprint that they've seen. Oh, well, Fulanito was successful using Instagram, so I'm going to use Instagram. This Fulano de Tal was, you know, went viral, so I'm mm-hmm. trying to go viral. Right. And it's just like, it don't make sense. Mm-hmm. It just, it just, it literally doesn't make sense. So that's definitely the first thing, trying to, you know, ignoring again what really actually works for your business and what channels function for your type of business um but also is not knowing your messaging mm-hmm. right there's one girl also here in dallas um her thing is a four-hour braider mm-hmm. so with all of the people that braid hair if you're a woman and you get box braids you know you could be in the chair all day all day so when you see a value proposition like i'll braid your hair in four hours is like I'm going to get in the chair, Mm. right? So people don't really think about, like, what is the actual benefit of my business? I'm just going to tell you all of the features. I'm just going to tell you everything. Same thing if you're a coach. Oh, well, it's 10 modules. You get live coaching. You get this. But it's like, what problem Mm -hmm. are you solving for the people that you're selling this to? I don't care if you sell T-shirts. You always have to think about the problem that you're solving. But people don't consider that angle so often their marketing doesn't slap, right? The Facebook ads don't work and the this and the that doesn't work because they're not saying anything. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of words on their website and a lot of words on their social media, but there's no value or benefit that's being communicated to the customer. So they're going to keep on scrolling right by. And being the best in town isn't a value proposition, right? It's We're the best in town. We're the best restaurant in town. I see a lot of people saying that. I don't think that's necessarily... A value because pro- people will say like that's my value proposition we're the best in town or something mm-hmm. like that or um you can get buy one get one free type of thing but i don't necessarily think that's a value proposition what do you think 
I agree. I think that being the best in town has to come with why. Why are you mm-hmm. the best in town? Do you serve food the fastest? Do you actually see in Dallas people don't season their food? Do you actually season your food? We use adobo in our food. I'm going to the restaurant. That's all I need to hear. You heard some feelings out here. Listen, y'all need to season your food, people in Dallas. Y'all need to season your food. I'm sick of it. Um, But yeah, you need to figure out like the why. Same thing with like, you know, Mm. clothes and stuff. The value proposition with Fashion Nova, it's like, Oh, you get fast fashion. Fast you can fashion, see something yep. that's on the runway, and in a week, Fashion Overdone copied it and you know put it on their website for the low low, mm-hmm. right? In Shein, you're getting really, really affordable clothes. Maybe not the best quality, mm-hmm. but you're there for the affordability. You're getting a right? look at a lower price. Exactly. Yeah. So every single business, as straightforward as it looks. Even the simplest businesses always have some sort of value proposition, some sort of benefit that's going to differentiate them mm-hmm. against their competitor, right? I think Teslas are ugly, but they're electric. So mm-hmm. if you want an electric car, it doesn't matter if you love the body or not, you're going to get a Tesla, right? For me, I'm, I drive a Range Rover. I like the look of the Range Rover. So I don't care that I'm paying $500 on gas mm-hmm. because that's the benefit that I'm looking yeah. for. I'm looking for a luxury look, you know? So... Again, everybody has to understand their consumer and what their consumer values and make sure that what their consumer values and what they're looking for aligns with their marketing message. Mm -hmm. But in order for you to know what your consumer values and is looking for, you need to talk to your customer. Mm, That's big. Right. But we don't want to get on sales calls. We own the restaurant, but we don't want to come out. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't want to we don't want to get reviews on our websites. We don't want we don't want to. Uh, face our customers because we're so busy running our businesses, mm. but they're really the bloodline of what makes our businesses work. That's why when people hear my marketing, they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like you're in my head because I talk to my target market mm. all day long. You're you're addressing their problem. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I love that. And I think that's a lot of, a lot of people don't do that as entrepreneurs. Like when they're stepping into entrepreneurship, they don't do that research of like going out and asking questions, is this even something that people want? Is this a service that people want to, uh, you know, purchase? And, like, they don't ask any of those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I had to learn that the hard way. But let's let's step into some practical steps for some business owners out there. Mm-hmm. Like, for someone that can't afford a marketing agency, maybe they can't necessarily afford your services right now. You know, they're maybe a solopreneur, small business owners. What are, like, four to five steps that you would recommend they take to jumpstart their marketing, I would say. Yes. So the first step would absolutely be to figure out your value proposition. So Mm -hmm. go on Instagram, send out texts, send out emails to your target customer. Mm -hmm. Hey, I just want to, I want to interview five X. I want to interview five moms, five natural hair people, five people who wear hats, whatever. Like I want to interview five people. Um, it's not, I'm, it's not a sales conversation. I just want to learn more about you and learn more about what you need. When you get on that phone call, you know, it's going to be about 30, 30 minutes to an hour. You're literally just going to let your target customer talk. Mm. What are you frustrated by? What have you tried before to solve your problem? What are you looking for to solve your problem now? How much are you willing to spend to solve your problem? How Mm. urgent is this problem? Right. And I'll give you a perfect example. If I sell maternity clothes, my target audience cannot be all women. Oh, everyone is my target audience, all women, because women eventually are all going to get pregnant. 
Well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. And women are only pregnant for nine months, right? So I need to understand, hey, you pregnant woman, what do you value? How do you shop for maternity clothes? Where do you currently shop for maternity clothes? When you shop for maternity clothes, what are you looking? Are you looking for style? Are you looking for comfort? Are you looking for fit? Are you looking for clothes that you can grow into um, or clothes that you can wear postpartum, right? Like Specific questions. Asking specific questions so that you get an understanding and you can identify the gap. I love watching Shark Tank because Shark Tank is literally a business course. Mm. Every day people come up in there. I was standing in my kitchen one day and I tried to do this one random thing and I couldn't do it. So I invented this thing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, me and my partner were doing this one day and we realized that there was no solution. It's like you need to figure out, like, what's the gap? And by having those conversations, you'll figure it out. Mm. Once you have those conversations, then you need to go look at your marketing. Is my marketing... Me showing up, posting on Instagram, do I have a website? Do I have an email list, right? Do I have a text message list? How am I capturing people and communicating with them outside of hoping that they see my post on Instagram, right? And then compare and contrast. If they told me that they value these things and they're looking for this thing or they're prioritizing this when they're shopping, Mm -hmm. but my website, my emails, nothing in my marketing communicates what they said, I got to start doing some work, Mm -hmm. right? I got to get busy behind the scenes, right? Mm -hmm. Then after you do that, so you you do your research, you get your messaging together, then you actually have to figure out how to automate your marketing. Mm -hmm. So people love to send newsletters. You know what I'm not doing in 103 degrees in Dallas? Writing an email, hey guys, (laughs) it's so hot here in Dallas today. Blah, blah, Uh, blah, bullshit, bullshit, small talk, small talk. Oh, and by the way, P.S. buy my product. People mm. be so scared to sell, so they try to like build relationships. Unsubscribe. I just want to be, I just want to be relatable. Girl, solve my damn problem. I don't care. Right. You know, I don't know who who runs Target, but when I go in there and I need some toothpaste, the toothpaste is there. Right. You know, but we feel like, oh, well, I just have to give everything away for free, or I have to become so relatable that the marketing gets buried underneath the bullshit. Um. So figure out, okay, how can I? take my best five to seven emails and automate them, right? Mm. Put them in an email sequence. So when somebody joins your email list, they downloaded a thing or they got a coupon or they requested a quote from you, whatever it was. Now they're in a sequence where they're going to get five emails every five days, Mm. right? So instead of you having to sit down every week and think about, dang, what should I write this week? You already know, oh no, this person is going to be in a sequence for about four weeks getting follow-up emails from me when they're ready to buy they will buy, right? So figuring out what does automation look like in your specific industry, right? A lot of people don't do this, but like offline businesses, like brick and mortars, they lose out the most because they're so used to, oh, people are going to walk down the street and Mm. see me, right? But I go to a place called Drybar and it's a franchise. Um, With Drybar, they send emails. Hey, we got this special going on. Hey, if you come in this day, you'll get this extra shampoo or we're we're doing uh you know two blowouts for the price of this. So, yeah, I might have not been thinking about going to get my hair done, but now I'm like, "Oh, I there's a special going right, on right. or there's this added incentive." Um the Dominican hair salon is not doing that. They're just expecting you to just to, to walk, walk in the in, door, yeah, right? So, definitely thinking about how can I start to again pre-prepare a series of messages that's going to be um, always running in the background while I do the work, mm-hmm. right? Something that I can just set up one time and it keeps going out even when I'm not the one involved. 
I love that because what you're basically breaking down is like as business owners, you guys have to look into the back end of your business first before you start posting the rails and taking pictures and Instagram and logos, whatnot, make sure that you have the back end stuff set up first. And like you said, set it up for automation. So you don't got to worry about it. You don't got to stress about it every day. Um, but I know people are going to ask about social media. When do you recommend looping that in? And what's the determining factor of like, which platform do I use? There's so many that are coming out every day. Earlier you said probably not the best idea to focus on all of them, maybe just one. But is it Instagram? Is it TikTok now? Twitter? Like, what is it? How does that work? Yeah. So I think each social media platform has um, some, um, how do you say it? Some uh, purpose, right? Yeah. That people are getting right, on there. Right. So on Instagram, yeah, maybe we hate the feed right now. But Instagram is, in my opinion, the best place for you to be able to engage and connect. Right? People be like, how you know so-and-so? Girl, I met her on Instagram, Instagram you know? Yeah. Instagram, you're talking in the DMs. You're doing things that you can't necessarily do on other platforms. Like, I may love somebody's YouTube content, but there's no messaging feature mm -hmm. for me to go back and forth with yeah, them in the yeah. DMs, right? So if you're in the business of engaging and connecting and talking to people, sure, get on Instagram. If you're in the business of educating people, get on YouTube. If, you're, if you don't like long-form video, but you're in the business of educating people, get on TikTok. Right. If you're in the business of uh, B2B, right, where you have like a professional service or you serve um, people who work full time jobs, go to LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I know one um, of my clients, most of her leads come from podcasts because she serves busy moms um, who work, busy working moms. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I'm thinking about what my customer needs, my busy mom, she's not scrolling up and down on Instagram. If she works full time, she's probably not going to see my reels. She's not interested in what's happening on social media, but she does have time when she's sitting in the car, taking her kids, you know, to school and then driving from school yeah. to work to listen to a podcast. Yeah. Right. So we think like, dang, I, I haven't gotten all these followers or I'm not winning on these on these platforms. I'm not doing a good job. And it could also be maybe your audience just isn't there. And that's why you can't attract mm. the people that you're you're looking for. Interesting. So consider. What are the, again, that's why those conversations are important. What are the daily habits? How are the people that buy from you looking for information and be there? And then also consider the content that you're creating. What's the purpose of it? Mm. And make sure that it matches the style of the platform. Right. Right. I love that. And then in the going with those two things, you'll be able to narrow down like, oh, these are the platforms that make sense. But now don't get on the platform and a week later be like, oh, it don't work. <laughs> Right, right, right. Like give LinkedIn, right. give LinkedIn thirty days yeah, at least before yeah. you like it don't work, right? Sure. If you want to uh, fast track, you could always you know run ads. Run All ads. the platform you can run ads on YouTube, you can run ads on TikTok. But again, it's about considering. Okay, do I want to do this myself? Mm. Do I want to hire a social media manager and pay them X hundreds of dollars per month to do it, or do I want to take those X hundreds of dollars per month and figure out how to run some some ads mm. on these platforms? Trust me, these platforms want their money. Yeah. So there's a lot of free resources that teach you how to run ads. Like I think TikTok right now, they have a dashboard and they show you like these are the best performing ads. If I know these are the best performing ads, you know what I'm going to do? Go copy and paste right. whatever the hell they're doing on them ads. Facts. Right. And apply it to my business. If I see that Twitter has X amount of trending topics, I'm going to try to jump on the on the trending topics. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So a lot of these platforms, they want you to win because you winning means money in their pocket. So don't mm-hmm. assume, oh, well, because I don't know how to run ads, um, I can't do it. There's definitely probably mm-hmm. support, knowledge, a class, something that the platform For provides sure. to help you get started. Many of them even offer uh, like account people that you can like get on the phone yeah. with that will help you get set up. So don't be intimidated because um, you have to spend the money. You are already spending the money either on hiring somebody to manage your organic social media or you doing it yourself. Mm. Something that you touched on in a different interview, you talk, you talked about search-based content. Mm-hmm. I think that's what you called it. But to me, I haven't heard that term before, and I think it, it's pretty brilliant if you want to break that down. Um, yeah, go ahead. Talk about it. Yeah, so you have to look at your content. Is it going to be something that's search-based? Or is it something that's going to be engagement based, right? Mm, so big. a lot that's of people win on Instagram because it's engagement based, right? People like, people comment. The more that it gets shown on the feed, the more people that I reach, the more people that I go viral on, right? But when people win in search-based content is when you go into the Google search bar and you look for X, Y, Z, and what are the things that pop up? YouTube videos, YouTube. blog posts, and podcasts. Mm, mm, that's the bar. I hope y'all taking notes. Right? If I'm searching for, you know, best la 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 in Dallas, mm-hmm. we're showing up Google Maps and websites. Mm-hmm. But we put all of our effort into engagement based content and engagement based platforms. I could be killing it on Instagram. If you search marketing consultant, mm-hmm. you're not gonna, Instagram nope. is not gonna come up in Google. Nope. Right? And I don't even know the number anymore. But most searches, when people want to buy something, most uh, customer journeys, most purchase journeys start with a Google search. Now some people, you know, they go and they'll build like a Pinterest board. I know some people, you know, will search like on the Instagram search bar or on TikTok. I'm not going to lie. I use TikTok. Like I was going to bring up the reason why I brought this up, not to cut you off again. (laughs) No, no. It's because I think TikTok is a platform that's going to move into that more search base. Because when I first moved out here to Dallas, I needed a barber. So I went on barbers in Dallas on TikTok and mm-hmm. a bunch came up. Uh, restaurants in Dallas, right? And even the type of content that I'm creating, um, I'm still getting followers and likes from older pieces of content that I created a long time ago. So it just goes to show that people are starting. I think they're starting to use it on there. But I agree mm-hmm. with you. Like Instagram is not the place that I would go to like search a barber in Dallas or something like that. Right. It'd be, for me personally, it'd be Google or TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the recommendation engine right now on Instagram just doesn't lean toward yeah. that, what we call discoverability, right? Um, but again, for the most part, when you think about your audiences, um, when if I'm serving people who are my mom's age, she's not searching on TikTok, right? She's searching on Google. Um, Or if, you know, again, if I talk to my target customer, which is other entrepreneurs, a lot of them are listening to podcasts. So I know, okay, podcasts are valuable. So it all really depends on like your business and things like that. But that's why it's so important to ask the question, like, how do you find information? Mm -hmm. How have you been looking for a solution? Because if they're like, girl, I've been, you know, I've been looking on Pinterest, you know, then Go be on Pinterest. But a lot of our content goes to die because we create it and then it gets buried in our feed, yeah, you know? Yeah. I have some fire content from 2015, some fire carousels that nobody's reading, right? Yeah. Because it's buried all the way down in my feed. There's no way um, 
for me to search in the search bar on Instagram and using keywords, it'll pull up mm-hmm. the, you know, the caption from that post and show it to somebody. Yeah. TikTok does that. Do. You know, again, Google will do it with podcasts and videos and stuff, but we don't consider how much effort we're putting into these pieces of content that die so quickly. Mm. You know, most pieces of content on most social media platforms quote unquote die within um at least a day, like a day mm. or two days. Wow. Right? So it's just like okay, All that work. so I need to keep do so I need to just keep doing this over and over and over again to be relevant mm. or could I write one good ass blog post or record one good ass search engine optimized podcast recap and get found, you mm. know? Interesting. So I want to transition a little bit. I want to know your opinion on the future of marketing. Like what I know TikTok is kind of the thing now, but what's next? What do you see is going to be working in the future? Like what are some things that you're maybe even researching right now that you're not implementing, but you want to learn more about what's like the future? Yeah, I think we're going to move back off of the internet. I think a lot of what we do and a lot of how we engage happens online. Mm. But I think we're going to start moving back to offline, back to events, back to conferences. You know, now that we were cooped up in the house for two years with COVID, I think people just have that itch for in-person experiences and connections more now than ever before, especially when we have like a workforce that's like full-time remote. Like I work full-time remote. So getting out of the house is like, a treat for me you know versus before (laughs) it was like oh i gotta get in the car now i'm like oh yay i get to go be in traffic you know um so i think people are moving more towards like experiences that's why we've seen retreats like the the uh tourism business Mm -hmm. is a billion like a something billion dollar industry and it blew up right after covid why because people trying to be out the house you know um and i also think as that wave passes right as the in-person experiences start to pass i do foresee some reinvention and some revolution around how we interact online so the idea of like the metaverse right Mm -hmm. like we've seen brands nfts like the web 3 space i think is really i don't think it's right now Mm -hmm. i think it's definitely like maybe like a 10-year play for it to fully play out and be like a, a everyday part of our life but thinking about like dang, what does it look like when I don't have to physically walk into the library anymore? I can just put on, you know, a headset and I walk into a a virtual library and I can pull out a book from the shelf and I don't I don't need a Kindle anymore because I'm just reading, you know, like that. Those are the experiences that I'm thinking where it's like, damn, I'm not buying Fendi or, or Louis anymore because now I'm getting my avatar right for the metaverse. Right. I'm not going to the club mm-hmm. to, to spend money on whatever. I'm buying tokens to yeah. buy credits yeah. for a store, you know, in virtual reality. So I feel like as brands, of course, brick and mortars. I'm always going to need somewhere to get my hair done. I'm always going to need somebody, you know, to to do my nails. Like that stuff is not going to go somewhere mm-hmm. ev- anywhere, but I think services and and clothes and fashion and all those things are I think are going to start to adjust as we like move more into like virtual reality sure. um in the coming decades for sure. Yeah, I mean for some people out there it may sound far-fetched, but it's not because if you look at the kids and the younger generations, that's what they running up your credit card, buying these tokens and these Roblox like, yeah, and all, all that. that. They they running it up on that. So, um, that's that's really interesting. That's super dope. So, want to transition a little bit. We got a couple more minutes here. Um, something that I seen you talk about on a different platform and something that you're always talking about is limiting beliefs as Latinos, mm-hmm. right? We 
when we show up as entrepreneurs and business owners, we feel like you said that we feel like we got to be perfect to be profitable, right? We have to have it all together. We got to work three times as hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got to make sure we're on point because we're Latinos, but I want you to speak to that a little bit. I love what you were, the message that you were uh, relaying in the other podcast. I'd love for you to talk about it here for sure. Yeah. A lot of the clients that I worked with, I started noticing that they weren't implementing what I was teaching them. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, why would you spend thousands and thousands of dollars and not do the work, Mm -hmm. you know? And in my own journey, you know, with therapy and things, I learned that, you know, we up until the age of about eight, right, we're being programmed Mm -hmm. how we view the world, right? So as adults, basically, you have on this like set of like goggles or lenses, which with through which you're seeing the world, right? So if you're pessimistic or if you're optimistic or if you're a risk taker or if you're you know whatever you're always looking at opportunities Mm -hmm. from that lens regardless of how you try to convince yourself otherwise right because growing up you know in my family was always la piñata agria Right. My grandma loved to say La Piña Tagria, a.k.a., you know, the pineapple is sour. The, mm. the times are hard right now, you know. So growing up, I always had this belief that, like, we're never good. There's never enough. There's never enough. There's never enough money. There's never enough time. There's never enough anything. So I had to work on what I believed because if I keep believing that there's never enough money, how am I going to build, build wealth? If I keep believing that there's never enough time, how mm. am I supposed to? find balance, right? Right, And find peace and not feel like I'm constantly rushing. So when I look at entrepreneurs, when you're raised in a household, especially as a woman, you're raised to not make too much noise, to Mm. not be in the way. Nothing el medio, right? The the adults are talking. You, you can't, you can't talk, right? When you're constantly silenced, Mm. um, when you're constantly in a culture where you're pushed to assimilate, right? You always feel like you're not enough. So when it's time for you to show up in your business, you carry that weight of not feeling like enough with you, you know? So we have to work on what is the identity that we've developed? What are the beliefs that we believe about ourselves, that we believe about money, that we believe about time, about family? Because we're making decisions through the lens of those beliefs every single day, Mm -hmm. even if we don't realize that they're happening and that they're really holding us back. Mm -hmm. And did you... Feel like you grew up with some of those limiting b- beliefs? Yes, those were literally my limiting beliefs. For there's sure. not enough time. There's not enough money. Um, men ain't shit. Mm-hmm. You know, my I grew up. My dad has five uh, five baby mothers, um, and seven kids. So do the math. I yeah. have a brother that's a couple of months older than me. Um, so yeah, I I would always approach relationships like. These mm. men, these men ain't shit. They mm. all cheat. They all mm. this. So you know, I would never be fully invested in any situation because I would just assume, well, it's just a matter of time before this person cheats, mm. right? Or I would get jobs, um, and I wouldn't negotiate because I would just assume that, well, there's not enough money. Like they're offering mm. me what they have, or I would price my products and services super low. Like I remember I was charging nine ninety seven for a class, uh, well, not a class, a group coaching program. And somebody was charging ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars for a mm-hmm. very very similar program, yeah. and I had to look at myself and be like, "Well, why? Mm-hmm. Like, why do I not think that my work is valuable enough to charge more?" 
you know, and it literally took me months in therapy. My therapist would be like, wow. did you raise your prices yet? Did you raise your prices yet? I'd be like, oh, my God, no, I'm wow. so scared. Nobody's going to pay that. You know, and then people would pay me 2500 and then people pay me 5000 mm-hmm. and then people pay me 7500 Now people pay me 25 k a quarter, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. wow, there was a point in time where I thought, you know, $25 mm-hmm. was a lot to charge for a wow. workshop or a class. So as you start to work on, again, on your beliefs and as you start to shift how you see the world and really like shift into abundance, you start to understand that there's limitless amounts of everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just your job to get your peace, Mm -hmm. whatever that peace is. Yeah. And how did you come overcome those limiting beliefs? You mentioned therapy. Therapy. Um, I learned a lot on YouTube. So I'm mm-hmm. like a YouTube girl. So yeah. I learned a lot about like quantum physics, um, emotional reprogramming. So two big resources that I always um, recommend is a personal development school uh, by Thais Gibson. She is a therapist from Canada mm. and she has a whole program. I think it's maybe like 75 bucks a month, if not less than that. And it's literally a whole library of um, classes on emotional reprogramming, subconscious beliefs, like all of this stuff that, I, that I'm talking about, um, learning about it in practice. Um, then also therapy, mm-hmm. right? So I have a um, platform called Cerebral, and I started using them a while ago, but they're, I want to say maybe like 250 a month. And, you know, I meet with my therapist once a week, which was super affordable for me because I remember when I first started therapy, it was 150 a session. So me being able to get four sessions a month for two fifty is great, deal, you yeah. know. Um, so so those are the two biggest resources I think that that have really helped me because it's one thing to be on YouTube like googling, right? And it's another thing to sit down with somebody and, and talk it out and talk it out, yeah. and they're like, "Oh, that's a limiting belief." Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. "Oh, you know, I I just feel like I should be I just feel like I should be farther along right now, right? I just feel like I should be doing this," and it's like, "But why? Why exactly?" Yeah. You know, um, my therapist be saying the same thing. I be saying stuff and she always wants. I love it because they dig deep and they want to figure mm-hmm. out what is the reason behind your reasoning. And it's just crazy because I'm like, damn, I didn't know that's where it came from. Right. I love that. Mm-hmm. What do, what does a, an abundant mindset mean to you? What does it look like to you? Mm. Oh, I think. For me, abundance is understanding, especially like. For me, like I'm Christian, so I really believe that like God is not going to forsake us, right? Like there's a, a passage in the Bible that I always remember that it's like if God can take care of the birds, if mm-hmm. the pigeons in New York is eating mm-hmm. every day, they're eating. right? If they eating good, they're eating good. there's no way that gonna God's going to forget about you, right? Yeah. But even if you're not Christian, um, you can still look at it like there is an abundance of resources on this planet on this planet right there are billions and billions and billions of dollars that circulate every single day mm-hmm. and if you don't believe that 100k a million 2 million 10 million 1 billion of that could be yours then you've already lost because you don't believe that there's enough so you're not going to put yourself in opportunities to reap the benefits of the supply right If you don't think that there's going to be water that's going to come out the faucet, you're not going to take a cup to go drink. Mm. Right. But when you have when you believe in abundance, you're not thinking about, oh, is water going to come out that faucet? You like 
I'm not going to use a cup. I'm going to find a bucket. Mm. Oh, I'm not, I'm not even going to find a bucket. I'm going to get one of those big ass plastic right, trash right. cans. Right. And I'm going and I'm to fill that joint up. Oh, you know, I'm not, I'm going to find a swimming pool. I'm going to put a hose on that faucet and I'm going to go fill up a, a 200 gallon swimming pool. Right. So that's what abundance is. Abundance is understanding. It's always going to flow. It's my job to figure out what container am I going to catch the overflow in. Mm. So I hope I hope that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. I love that. We can probably talk a whole other podcast specifically on that, but I don't want to take up all your time. We can start wrapping this thing up. Talk to the people about the services that you provide. People are now interested in, they may be interested in marketing. Talk to, talk to them about the services that you provide and that you offer. Yeah. So I have a group program called Promoted to CEO. And in that program, I teach entrepreneurs exactly how to outsource their marketing. How can I get marketing off of my plate? Right. Because that's the biggest thing. It's like as an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. you're doing so many things and you get so overwhelmed and so bogged down by marketing that you can't operate in whatever the zone of genius that you're supposed to be in. So I help you think about what is the most strategic way for me to outsource? Maybe it's not a full-time employee. Maybe it's finding a contractor. Maybe it's finding um, a service, right? Maybe it's getting somebody like on Fiverr or on Upwork. So we essentially walk through Mm -hmm. like what is your business marketing strategy and then what is the, the team or the resources that you need to implement to be able to support that marketing strategy without you being in it? And then the other way that I support people is Excuse me. I'll come into your business and I'll be your fractional CMO. So basically, I become like a a full time contractor within your business and I will develop your marketing strategy and hire and train your team and do your data and do all those things. So those are kind of like the two options. But if those two, if you're like, look, Emily, I'm like a beginner, beginner. I don't don't know. I don't know. I have a ton of free resources. Like I have podcast episodes Mm -hmm. on my Sanity and Success podcast. If you Google my name, you'll probably find, you know, a whole bunch of different YouTube videos and things that I've done, different summits, different free classes. I actually should probably update my website with all the free Mm -hmm. resources. But um, but yeah, like there's definitely a ton of information out there that I've already kind of um, shared and like interviews and stuff that I've already done. And it's not a bad place to start. I think sometimes people think like, oh, well, like the free things aren't good. Mm -hmm. I give away as much as I give in the things that I do. I also give away in the things that I say and in the things that I teach. So don't feel like, oh, well, the only way for me to get good value is to, you know, be in a $5,000 group coaching Mm -hmm. program. You could, like, I literally pieced a lot of things that I do now from YouTube, right? From Googling, from figuring it out along the way and just giving yourself grace to know, yo, I'm taking the long way, right? I'm I'm only figuring it out through YouTube videos that I'm piecing together. So it's going to take me longer than somebody who's in a, you know, six-week program. Yeah, love that. Love that. Powerful. Um, One other question. I got to ask before we end the podcast is I always ask my guests in the Latin West podcast, who is somebody that needs J-Lo? To- no, I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I was like, hey, if you know her, <laughs> you got her connection, let's make it happen. <laughs> who is somebody that needs to be on the podcast? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you got a couple of people, it's good. The only rule is you got to have their connection. Oh, there's a lot of people. So, okay, okay what what topics have you already covered or what topics do you feel like you wish that you could cover or that you knew an expert in? That is a good question. Um, probably real estate. I think real estate would be good, but we're, we're really open to whoever mm-hmm. coming on the podcast. 
Ooh, real estate, real estate. I'll think. I don't know. Do I know Who was any? the person you oh. said earlier? You said somebody earlier that has uh, the cleaning business. Oh, the hard togs. Okay. Mm-hmm, the hard trimony. Okay. They're um yeah. they're here in in Dallas, okay. uh, husband and wife. Um, so they would be a good one in real estate. I immediately came to mind. I don't know her personally, but I know her manager. Who okay, so okay. I could we could get to her, but her uh, name is Nuris Marcel. She is a real estate investor out of New Jersey, but she's also an influencer. So I think, I don't know how long she's been in the game, but I know she has like double digits in property and Mm -hmm. she has like a really um, engaging like YouTube channel and content and stuff like that. She's having a baby now too. Okay. Um, okay. But she's great because she's like one of the only women that like she did a walkthrough like with her contractor, you know, she's Dominican. So she talks about like how people you know she's beautiful how people try to get over on her Mm. with deals like being able to navigate like a male dominated industry she shows the before and after when she does like rentals and stuff so i really love her um her real estate content okay um my friend ada rojas so she's actually a soul-led coach so a lot of what i've been talking about in terms of like limiting beliefs and things like that she um addresses that she coaches business owners on how to kind of remove those blocks so that Mm. they can grow their business um and i would say also josie rosario she is a therapist and she talks a lot about like how the latino identity um and what we believe and and what we grow up in our cultures Mm -hmm. believing um impacts you know how we how we operate for sure that's a couple good ones that we got to connect with for sure um where can people find you where can people reach out to you we'll leave the links to everything in the description of this podcast but talk to the people yeah so you can find me on all the socials i'm at emily de la cruz and go look in the show notes because the spelling is crazy Mm -hmm. um and then my website is one day cmo the word one day the letter cmo.com boom love it that's it y'all thank you for tuning into another podcast episode and we'll catch you guys next week peace